Hello, you are listening to the Omnitalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group, Firework, SPS Commerce, and Sezzle. All right, well, let's keep rolling to headline number four. According to Chain Store Age, REI will open a standalone REI re-slash-supply store dedicated to used gear and apparel in my favorite town name in America, Clackamas, Oregon. And it's expected to open in late August. The roughly 16,000 square foot store is REI's second store devoted to the resupply concept, the first being launched in Manhattan Beach in 2020. The store is meant to provide REI members with access to high quality used outdoor gear and apparel at great prices with frequently changing selection composed of used products REI receives through its returns process and via trade-in. Dave, let's go back to you, the double chicken. Double chicken, let's go back to you. Let's see if this sticks. Is and this, I'm doubling down on this. You're, I'm, you're I'm doubling, doubling down on this. All right, cool. I can't wait to hear. So here's my question to you on the spot, as we like to do. Is this story unique to REI, or will we see other retailers start to devote entire store concepts to resale? Your thoughts, please. I think it won't be unique to only REI, but I think there are only certain brands, retailers who can really do this and do this well. Mm -hmm. And so REI, potentially Patagonia, where it's part of their core principles and ethos, I think it fundamentally makes sense. You know, was it uh, fashion resale is, is, is over almost $20 billion. And so if you think about just the resale market is trending up, it's up 15% versus a year ago. Um, there really isn't an op- a place where you can focus on non, um, I'll call it fashion or apparel. And so if you think about it as like all of us, we probably have different gear that you're just like, I don't use it anymore. Yeah. Um, gear is expensive. It takes up a lot of space. Uh, people need it. People don't need it. And with REI's approach and their and their co-op, it just fundamentally makes sense. And especially in a place probably like Oregon, where there's a lot more camping, mm-hmm. there's a lot more hiking. You're going to need gadgets and gear at, 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 a, at a whim, but also at the same moment, you're like, I don't use this anymore. For instance, I have a Yeti cooler, haven't used it in two years. Yeti, I love you, but I like I can, I'd be happy to kind of resell that, but where do you do that? And so yeah. I think it fits with what they're doing. It fits with their mission. It fits with the geography. Um, the products itself, it's a unique path to um, remarket. And I just don't see that out there that often. And so I, I, I think REI is one of the only retailers that can that can start doing this. And I think the first mover status will be huge for them. Yeah, I'm curious about that. I want to double clean into that, Chad. Like, and Chad, we'll go to you next. Like, And Dave, jump back in here too, if you want. But um. You know, my, you guys are in a lot of boardroom discussions. I got to think this topic's coming up. Like, how do we attack this market? You know, do we open a store? Do we put up an online storefront? Do we just, you know, disavow it completely and not go after it? Like, what? how do you help the executives through that type of conversation? Yeah, because the, the question you're really getting at is like, what is the what is the mechanism to uh, to have this kind of resale marketplace, right? I mean, I, I think what, what, what Dave hit on really well and like, for REI, these categories lend themselves really well to this, right? I mean, how, mm-hmm. how many tents do you think are sitting in garages and storage spaces right now that were used once, right? And these things are pretty durable. Yeah. But but I think what you're getting at is like, do I open a storefront or do I have more of an online exchange? 
You know, I, it's interesting. I was, I was part of a company a number of years ago that was experimenting with this kind of concept, but in more of a um, rental capacity. So mm-hmm. think about it as like rent, you know, we tinkered with the idea of like renting out tools and equipment and kind of creating that online exchange. So like most of the time your power saw or your wet dry vac are left idle, right? Getting only a couple of usages. And ultimately we couldn't um, at the time, this goes back a little bit, but like we couldn't wrap around like the the logistics of the exchanges of how we right. would kind of make that work. And so in a way the storefront is, you know, having a dedicated store or a portion of a store or, you know, whatever is kind of the easiest way to do it. Like REI already has exchange programs in place mm-hmm. and opportunities to sell goods back. Uh, I believe DSW had done the same thing with sports equipment not that long ago. Right. And so uh, it's a very, uh, I'll say quote, easy way and mechanism of getting that back out to the consumer basis somewhere to go. So I don't, I don't mind doing it as a, as a storefront concept. Um, you know, we'll see how this, uh, we'll see how this goes and whether it's actually profit generating. My lean is, is that ultimately it will be, um, but you know, if nothing else, it's a, uh, it's a great example of an initiative that aligns to kind of this company mission as Dave was talking about. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I'd be, I'd be good with this, uh, with, with this mechanism of doing it. I disagree though. I'm not sure if it's going to be profit generating, right? I That's think. the issue. Uh, ah. but, but, but here's the thing is I don't, I'm not sure if you need to be. And, and so bear with me. Yeah. Something like this, if you break even or more are around break even, that is a big win on something like this. But what you're doing is driving so much more loyalty mm-hmm. and you're doubling down on what you stand for that I think it's going to have a huge halo effect on REI, both e-commerce and their traditional brick and mortar stores. So I think it fits exactly with what they're doing. And it, it maybe not the perfect example, but you even think about um, drugstores removing um, cigarettes. They're mm-hmm. supposed to be healthy. You're supposed to be wellness. Why would you have cigarettes there? And so uh, there are some things that are counterintuitive from a financial aspect, but long-term it drives, it fits within their strategy and it drives more sustainability and loyalty, which I think will have a, a, a huge impact with, with REI. Yeah. And that plays right along with, with REI's ethos too. Like, Correct. you know, and, but that's, that's the important point here is like, how many people can play to that ethos and how many people need that ethos ultimately at the end of the day to keep their customer coming back. And I guess, I'm guessing Anne's going to sing a same similar tune to what you just said, Dave, but Anne, what do you think? I, I think the thing that we need to talk about here is that when, especially when we're talking about, is this profitable? Like there's a lot of logistics that are going to go into making a successful resale platform. Like Chad said, Aria has been doing this for a long time. So they're, they've, they've been doing this. So can every brand do this and be, have it be a profitable entity for them? No, but I think the most important thing we need to think about is what Chris Spire, the chief merchant at REI told us at the Seattle classic summit, Chris, if you'll remember where he said that the biggest problem that Aria has right now is that all of my consumers consumers look like me, Chris Spire, who is, you know, a middle-aged man. And he's, you know, they're trying to bring in a more diverse, a more, a younger audience and customer into REI. And this is a way to do that. I was at the Commerce Next conference uh, on a Gen Z panel and the, the people that were representing Gen Z for a granted, you know, focus group of four here, but they were talking about the the times that they do invest are when they're getting things. The guy specifically 
quickly mentioned getting a pair of hiking boots. That's when they're looking for a place like what REI is doing here. And I think that is very smart for REI to be investing in, to bring that new customer in and to get them in at a price point that's much more affordable and then build them into that brand loyalty like Dave was talking about. Well, I think the price point is the most unique piece. It's like, I don't, I don't do a lot of camping. So I don't have any camping gear, but should I go camping, I'll need the gear, but I don't want to pay full price. Right. And so this is a way where it's like, it's, it's much more, it's almost below opening price point. Mm-hmm. It's more like a one-time opening yeah. price point that I could use at this product. So I think there's, there's a huge benefit. This is a very symbiotic, I think, uh, environment for everyone here. Right. Well, and when you look at it the way you two just said it, then Dave, like you could even you could even make the argument that maybe you don't need to be profitable. Like maybe it's somewhat of a marketing investment in the areas that you're putting these stores, and you're evaluating yeah. your market economics then by growing your customer base and keeping them in the brand too. That's another way to look at it. Yeah. I don't know. My only thing here is like I don't feel like every brand can do this. Every retailer can no. do this. Like I don't think Target and Walmart should start opening resale stores as an example. Yeah, they're not selling the quality goods though. Like that I think that's exactly it, Chris. Like their products Walmart and Target are not meant to sustain 3 to 4 to 5 owners throughout the product's life. Right, but I do think the the, the interesting tilt on this argument or this discussion to me is I do think every retailer gets returns, right? Every retailer wants to be closer to the consumer. We just read Jason Del Rey's book too on winter sales all on Amazon. And they talked about Amazon and their sortation centers and putting those in the right locations throughout the country was a really important part of their strategy. And other retailers are starting to do that. So do you start seeing like small urban warehouses meant for fulfillment, also return hubs that can now also be turned into like front facing, hey, you want to shop our returns? Come in. These places are relatively close to you. You can do it. It helps us clear through our inventory, keeps us out of the brand and the operational muck that comes with having to process online returns in a store when those things aren't on the shelf to begin with. They don't have a place to go. Like, I wonder if we start to see that as a way for this to happen and take off in a different way with different economics. That's just my, I don't know. It's just kind of fun to think about from my perspective. 